السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد so last week we were uh, over, going over verse number two of Surah Al-Asr and we spoken a great deal concerning some of the issues in, in, that, in that verse, verse number two but we had yet to finish and complete the tafsir of that verse so just to recap, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Asr he takes an oath as we said by Al-Asr and the scholars of tafsir gave it a number of different meanings some of them said that it refers to time in general some of them said that it refers to a part of a day be that the time between asr and maghrib what is known as al-ashid the latter part of the day some of them said that it refers to the salah itself or the time of the asr prayer and we mentioned you know like the narrations that are found in the quran and the sunnah as to why some of the scholars went to those different views and how they brought in other verses of the quran hadith of the prophet to support those positions that they took and we said that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ibn Kathir and many of the other scholars of tafsir, they said that al-asr is in its, to be understood in its most general form. Al-asr, that Allah Azza wa takes an oath by time. And then he says in verse number two, which is what we were discussing last week, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرٍ Indeed, man is in a state of loss. And we said that the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir uh, how the position that man is a general word that encompasses everyone, Muslim and non-Muslim, encompasses everyone. Even though there was some of the scholars of tafsir who, as we mentioned last week, went to the position that refers to a, the disbelievers. And some of them went even more specific and they named individuals like Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab. But we said that the vast majority of the scholars made it a, a generic verse in the sense that they made the word or the, the loss that is suffered by mankind, that includes everyone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is where we kind of finished last week when we were speaking about the word khusr in the Quran, which means loss. And how in the Arabic language, khusr refers to linguistically in the original meaning of the word, refers to a state of loss in terms of business. When a person loses their wealth, they become bankrupt and they lose everything that they possess. And how the scholars say that Allah Azza wa makes a link between these two things because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often in the Quran when he speaks about us and he speaks about our relationship in terms of worshipping Allah Azza wa he mentions it in terms of business and trade and commerce. How we are in a business partnership almost or we're doing a trade with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our worship in return for his reward subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have the verse in Allah ashtara Allah has brought from the believers their lives and their wealth in return for Jannah. Or the verse in Surah Al-Saf, Shall I guide you towards, or shall I not guide you towards a trade, a commerce that will save you from a painful punishment? So Allah refers to it as trade. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about its opposite, which is when a person loses out, they don't, they don't partake in that trade and they lose out, uses the word khusr, because khusr used to be referred to dhahabu ra'sil mal. used to be referred to losing out your capital, losing out the wealth that you've invested. And the scholars said that that's because in life, the greatest trade that we make or the greatest currency that we have is our time. It is the days and the months and the years that Allah Azza wa has afforded to us and what we use that time for. And that's why the scholars who made the tafsir, as we mentioned, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah and others, they said concerning wal-asr that Allah Azza wa takes an oath by the time and by what we do within that time from the good and the evil, from the worship that we do or the sins that we commit. So the time is not just the time in the sense of the concept of time, but it is how that time is used as well by people and by us as the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah azza wa jal, the word khusr in the Quran often comes in the context of people who worship other than Allah, people who turn away from Allah azza wa jal, people who depend upon other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or take as their help and as their guide someone other than Allah azza wa jal. And Allah azza wa jal often calls this in the Quran khusran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, says, and I think we mentioned some of these verses or perhaps even all of them last week, 
Uh, but just as a quick recap, two or three of them. In Surah An-Nisa 119, Allah Azza wa says, Whosoever takes shaitan as a helper besides Allah has indeed suffered the greatest of loss. And that is generally the context in the Quran. The word khusran is mentioned in the context of when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when others are worshipped besides Allah, when we leave Allah, when we abandon the path of Allah, when we turn to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-An'am, verse 31, Those who have rejected the meeting with Allah have suffered loss. Right? So again, disbelief in Yawm Al-Qiyamah and in resurrection. Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-Imran, verse 85, Whosoever chooses other than Islam as a religion, it will not be accepted from him, and he will be in the hereafter from the losers. So the word khusran, khusr, khasirin, right? These are all the same root word, some of them nouns, some of them verbs, some, and they all refer to the same concept of losing out. Even in the dua of our father Adam alayhi salatu wasalam, in Surah Al-A'raf, verse 23, when he's making tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِلْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا Right? The famous dua, Rabbana ظلمنا انفسنا وإن لم تغفل لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين Oh my Lord, I have oppressed myself. And if you don't forgive me and have mercy upon me, I will be from the losers. So that is the general context in the Quran that the word khusran is mentioned. Loss refers to the loss of not having that worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not knowing who Allah azza wa is, not making the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah azza wa uses the word khusran because it means abject loss, total loss. And that's why often in the tafsir, or in the translation rather, in the English language you will find the translation is often used as total loss, right? Or complete loss, or severe loss. Because that is what khusran means. Khasara is not just losing some of your wealth or not making a profit, or you know, losing out 10%, 20%, it is losing everything. And so Allah Azza wa when He uses the word khasara or khusr, you know, khusr and khusran are both the same. It is in that context that these people choose and they suffer total loss. And then I think we mentioned, or what, where we concluded was the, uh, was the observation made by Sheikh Saleh al Sheikh, Hafizahullah, who's one of the scholars of Saudi Arabia who's, who's still living. And he said how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah, in the first two verses, takes a number of, or he emphasizes this point in a number of ways, three ways he says. The first is by making the oath, the qasam, when he says wal asr, he swears and takes an oath by time. The swearing or the taking of an oath by Allah azza wa is a form of emphasis. Right? It's a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is emphasizing the importance of what is to come and what is to be mentioned. The second is inna, at the beginning of the second verse, inna in the Arabic language is known as harfu tawkidin wa nasb. It is a, a, a structure that brings, when brought into the sentence, does two things. Makes the word that comes after it, mansub, puts a fatha on it. And the second thing that it does is it emphasizes what is to come, inna, right? Inna wa akhawatuha, right? It is the basic uh, the basic structure that is used or the basic format that is used to bring emphasis in the Arabic language. It means indeed, verily, surely, right? It is to emphasize what is to come. And the third way in which it is done is the lam at tawkid. When Allah Azza says, lafi khusr, the lam is also lam at tawkid, the lam of emphasis. So he says in these two verses, very short, like there's like five words within those two verses. Within them, three times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes this to show that this is the case. This is the reality. There is no, you know, oh, maybe it's just me or someone else or this person. This is the general rule of thumb. It is universal. By time, indeed mankind is surely in total loss. Right? Three times Allah azza wa emphasizes the same thing. And sometimes in the translation, that's not necessarily brought right in, in the way that it's translated. It's not necessarily made clear that there are three different forms of emphasis in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, this verse. The waw al-qasim, the inna, the lamb of tawkid, 
it is to say by time indeed or verily man is surely in a state of loss right? that would be the you know and, and so they translate verily like you get that but you don't get the surely in the lamb right and so it's like emphasis after emphasis after emphasis to show the importance of this subject matter and that's why Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir he said al-khusr huwa al-dalal al-khusr is mis misguidance right what loss means here the total loss is the loss of misguidance that this person doesn't know Allah Azza wa they don't turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they don't know the difference between truth and falsehood and so they are in abject misguidance and al-imam al-nakha'i ibrahim al-nakha'i rahimahullah one of the famous scholars of the tabi'een he said that Allah Azza wa wants to make it clear here that a person throughout their lifetime in all of the years and the time that Allah gives to them and as they grow old is constantly in a state of loss as people get older as years pass by irrespective of what they earn in this dunya irrespective of how much money they may have or how much power or fame or how many cars or possessions they may have they are always in a state of loss they're always going into further loss because when the Quran speaks about success and it speaks about loss it doesn't speak about it in the terms that we would normally speak of right in our terms you know in the dunya terms if you like success is what someone's done well they have money they have cars they have a position they have qualifications these are different measures of success does Allah measure success in that way is that what Allah looks at does Allah look at someone's wealth or their position or their status that isn't the success that Allah mentions and that's why in the Quran one of the, the in, interesting uh, observations or one of the interesting points of reflection is how in Surah Al-Buruj when Allah speaks about the people of the trench right these are people who when they believed in Allah what did the king of that time do he dug a trench he threw them he, he put fire into that trench and he threw the believers into them right Allah says Qutila ashabul ukhdud annari dhatil waqud Right? The people of the trench were massacred, they were killed. They were thrown into the trench as it was alighted with the fire. But when Allah speaks about these people, what does He say about them? Indeed, those who believe and do righteous deeds, they will have gardens under which rivers flow. And then Allah says, for them is the greatest of success. These people were massacred, they died, they didn't live, they didn't run away, they didn't escape, they weren't saved, they were, they were killed to the end, right? to a man, they were massacred. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls it in the Quran, the greatest of success. Why? Because they died worshipping Allah Azza wa They died believing in Allah, they died strong and steadfast upon the Iman. So when Allah Azza wa speaks about it in the Quran, He calls it success. And He says it is the greatest of success. And that is Allah showing us this important lesson. So Imam Nakhai Ibrahim Nakhai is saying the same thing here. That we measure success in a different way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala measures it in a different way. We see loss in one way and Allah sees it in another way. We see loss in terms of our wealth, our finances, in terms of if you lose a loved one, a relative, or maybe you're not doing well in terms of your qualifications, your studies, your career, your job. This is loss for us. It is materialistic loss. But Allah doesn't look at that. Someone that doesn't have a good job, doesn't have much money, doesn't mean that they're in loss in the sight of Allah that they're in a state of loss or they're from the losers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, when He speaks about loss, He speaks about it in terms of Iman and Kufr, belief and disbelief. Those who worship Allah and those who turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says that's why Allah is saying that man is always in a state of loss. Doesn't matter what they earn and what they have and what they possess and what qualifications they have or what status they're afforded in society. Allah says they will always be in a state of loss. And wasn't Abu Jahl someone who was wealthy and noble and prestigious and had people who came and offered him support? Wasn't Abu Lahab someone who had position within his society and amongst the people of Quraysh? Went Umayyah ibn Khalaf and others, rich businessmen and people who not just the Quraysh, but the Arabs of Arabia knew of by name and they honored. But despite all of this, Allah says they were in loss. And that's why Ibrahim al-Nakhayi says they will always be in loss. These people, mankind is always in loss unless they are those who 
fulfill these four conditions, these four things or these four points that Allah will mention in the final verse of Surah Al-Asr. Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala said, if a person doesn't use their time wisely, the age that Allah has given to them wisely to make constant profit, then they will always be in a state of loss. So the greatest commodity that Allah has given to us, and that is from Allah's mercy and justice. Because if Allah was to measure people's success by their wealth, not everyone has the capacity and the ability to make money. Not everyone can be successful in terms of wealth. If it was to do in terms of qualifications, not everyone's studious or book smart or able to take qualifications and have master's degrees and PhDs. Or if it was in terms of nobility and lineage, not everyone's born into a, a family that has nobility or lineage. Those are things that are outside of people's control. But one thing that every person is equal in is time. Is the time that Allah gives to them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made that equal to and for everyone. Sibyl al-Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala said, if a person doesn't use this to make a consistent and constant profit, then they will always be in loss because they have not used what Allah gave to them as their greatest commodity and they wasted that instead. And that's why Shaykh al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir, as we mentioned, I think last week we touched upon this, he said, وَالْخَسَارَةُ He said that loss is not only of one level, but it is of many levels. There is a loss that is a complete and total loss, and that is those people who lose in this life, and they lose in the next. They don't have anything. And then there are other people who will lose less than this. There are other people who will lose less than this. So when Allah Azza wa will mention, and we'll come on to the next verse, but when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He mentions four points, Iman, righteous deeds, advising with the truth, advising with patience. If someone loses or doesn't have one of these four, they have suffered a form of loss. It is part of loss that they have. And if they don't have any of them, right, or the most basic of them, which is Iman, then they have suffered complete and total loss. And that's why he says that Allah mentioned these four aspects because they are the four aspects that bring salvation and success. And Imam al-Razi said something very similar. He said that Allah in this surah, actually what he's giving to us is a very stark warning. Allah warns us. And that is that every single person will be in loss. Right? If someone was to come to us and say, you won't make any money. It doesn't matter what you do, how hard you try, what qualifications you have, what job you have, you will never be successful. You will never make money. You will never get a good job unless you do A, B, C, and D. He says, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does to us in terms of our religion. Allah says that these people are always in total loss except for those people who will bring four things. And he mentions the four as Allah mentions in the third verse. And he says, and Allah azza wa jal then mentions two aspects within those four things. Two aspects. So Allah Azza almost divides the last verse into two. Two things are personal. They're what I do for myself, what benefit me. And two are what benefit, how we benefit one another. How we benefit each other and how we work together as a community. The two that benefit me, that are for me to do for myself, is iman and righteous deeds, faith and righteous deeds. That's for me. My belief in Allah Azza wa Jal, my iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, strengthening my relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal, my connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and doing righteous deeds, fulfilling my obligations, staying away from the prohibitions that Allah has placed upon me, doing extra good deeds. That's very personal to me. But then Allah Azza wa Jal showed that that's not enough. It's not enough for me just to do those two. But I have to do other things that also bring other people into that equation. My family, my children, my neighbors, my friends, the brothers and sisters that I'm connected to, the community that I'm part of. And that is advising one another with the truth, advising one another with patience. And he says, and all of them, and that's why one of the main concepts of this religion is Al-Amru Bil-Ma'roof wa Nahi Al-Munkar, right? Enjoining good and forbidding the evil. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil-ma'roof wa tanhawna anil-munkar wa tu'minuna billah. You were the best of nations that Allah took out from mankind because you command the good and you forbid the evil and you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he said, therefore, it's not enough. Not enough just to do one or two and to ignore the last two. Because some people are very good at doing the first two, 
but they will never do anything for anyone else. They don't really give back to their community. They're not really active in their community. They don't really help other people. They're very just, it's just me and my religion and my iman. And that's not the way or the path of success that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to us. Sheikh Shalqiti rahimahullah Muhammad Lameen in his tafsir, he says, so when Allah Azza wa speaks about khasara and loss, he speaks about loss in terms of the four aspects that Allah will mention in the last verse. He says, so as for loss of iman, that is kufr. So losing your iman means what? Disbelief. He says, Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, لَإِنْ أَشْرَكْتَ لَيَحْبَطَنَّ عَمَلُكَ وَلَتَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ if you were to make shirk, Allah says, we would make all of your actions void and you would be from the losers. And he says, leaving righteous deeds means what? Means sinning. So that is loss of righteous deeds, which means sinning. Let me just finish this quote, please. And that's when Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, وَمَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ right, That's the verse that I recited in Salah, in Surah Al-Mu'minun. And as for those whose scales of good deeds will be light, then they will be those who will suffer a loss upon themselves. And he says, and as for losing or not uh, advising one another with the truth, losing that means that you advise either with falsehood or you just don't care. And he says, and that is, and losing or not advising with the truth means advising with falsehood, which means that you choose a path other than Islam. And that is what Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمَن يَبْتَغِ غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا and whoever chooses other than Islam as a religion, it will never be accepted from them and they will be in the hereafter from the losers. And he says, and as for not advising or losing, advising one another with patience, the opposite of patience is when a person is constantly in a state of agitation, right? They don't have any contentment. They don't have any inner peace and tranquility. And so at the slightest sign of trial or difficulty, they lose their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in Surah Al-Hajj. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ حَرْفِ فَإِنْ أَصَابَهُ خَيْرٌ نِطْمَأَنَّ بِهِ وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ فِتْنَةٌ نِنْقَلَبَ عَلَىٰ وَجْهِهِ خَسِرَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ ذَلِكَ هُوَ الْخُسْرَانُ الْمُبِينَ Allah says, and there are from amongst people, those who worship Allah upon unsteady iman, upon change. If goodness comes to them, they're happy. But if a fitna, a trial strikes them, they will turn away. So they will lose this life and they will lose the next and that is the greatest of loss. And that's a nice thing that he does, that he links those verses of the Quran that speak about loss to the four points that Allah Azza wa will mention in verse number three. Yeah, you had a question? If a person commits shirk and then let's say theoretically after some time later he accepts Islam again, are all of these things null and void from before? Because from according to this ayah, I think all these things need to be null and void. Yeah. Uh, all these good deeds. Okay, so, so the question is that if a person was upon Iman, then they apostate, they leave Islam, their actions are not avoided. But then if they come back to Iman, do their actions come back the good that they did? Um, I think, Allahu alam, but I think they do. The ayah indicates that, but you have to take the Quran in context, right? And so there are other verses that speak about how when, when a person changes from goodness to bad Allah changes their evil deeds into good deeds some of the scholars of tafsir said that that only refers to the non-muslims to people who accept Islam that Allah is saying that the goodness that they did before Islam that's converted right or the evil that they did is converted to good another said no it's general for Muslims and non-muslims right so even if you sin but you make tawbah Allah Azza wa Jalla and there's a hadith that speak to that as well right that tawbah takes away the evil that you did beforehand. So it is possible and Allah knows best. So minor shirk doesn't take a person outside of Islam. It doesn't take a person outside. So this verse is speaking about like the verse that is referring to those who commit shirk and the actions are null and voided. That's referring to the major shirk, the one that takes a person outside of the fold of Islam. Is falah the opposite of khusr? It is one of the opposites. In Arabic, in the Quran, falah is used, foes is used, um, maybe even like one or two other words. Right? So, for example, in the verse that I mentioned in Surah Mu'minun, Allah Azza wa says, Before that, فَمَنْ ثَقُلَتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ 
Whereas in Surah Buruj, as we mentioned, Allah Azza wa calls success, ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْكَبِيرُ So there's like a couple of words maybe that, that you would, you could say. Hayya al-Falah. Yeah. 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 Yes, so generally when the Quran speaks about success, it means both. But its terms of success in the dunya are not the way that we would consider success necessarily. So when the Quran says the believers are successful, it includes the dunya and the akhirah. But does that mean success as in they'll be wealthy? No, not necessarily. That's not the meaning of the Quran when it speaks about success, right? It means success in this life in terms of they have Allah's mercy, they have Allah's divine care, Allah's divine protection, Allah's help, right? That's the, the meaning of success in, in, in the Quran and the sunnah. And so sometimes when we say words like this, success, they're very general, right? And we sometimes think, oh, success means, you know, they will be wealthy. But if we actually look at many of the prophets and the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they were successful in the dunya, but they weren't wealthy. They weren't rich. They weren't people who had great flying jobs or many possessions or houses and cars and whatever they had at that time. That's not necessarily the meaning. But they, they have, right? Allah says about the companions, radiyallahu anhum maradwa'an. Allah was pleased with them, they are pleased with him. And that is the success that Allah Azza is referring to. Right? And so it's important sometimes, uh, and it's difficult to do, um, like when we speak about uh, these concepts, to understand what the shari'i shari understanding of those concepts is, and that's how to refer to it in our discourse. It is difficult to do because sometimes it means that every few words you're stopping and you say, actually, this is what we mean by this, and this is what we mean by that. And then it becomes slightly difficult to do. But it's important, right, to remember this as you, you know, like once it's said, just to keep that in mind, especially in terms of, uh, of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And that doesn't mean that Allah doesn't give both types of success to some people. Gives them success of the shari type of success in the dunya, but also in terms of materialistic terms as well. Like companions like Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Uthman ibn Affan, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, they had success even in terms of materialism, right? They were extremely wealthy and fortunate and, and Allah blessed them in that way as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in, uh, we come on to the last verse. Allah azza wa jal then says in verse number three, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ Sahih International, except for those who have believed in righteous deeds and advised each other to the truth and advised each other to patience. Abdul Halim, except for those who believe do good deeds, urge one another to the truth urge one another to steadfastness. Is there a difference between urging and advising? Is urging stronger? A bit more physical? Yeah. We'll come on to that one. Except those who believed and did righteous deeds and exhorted each other to follow truth and exhorted each other to observe patience. Sometimes I think they just go on a thesaurus just to like change up the words. Muhsin Khan, except those who believe brackets in Islamic monotheism and do righteous deeds and recommend one another to the truth brackets, order one another to perform all kinds of good deeds which Allah has ordained and abstain from all kinds of sins and evil deeds which Allah has forbidden and recommend one another to patience brackets again for the sufferings, harms, injuries which one may encounter in Allah's cause during preaching his religion of Islamic monotheism or jihad, etc. That's like a four or five line translation of, of that one verse. So, um, you know, I often say Mahsan Khan, like it's, it's a nice translation if you want to go to that level of depth. It's almost a mini tafsir that is translated because of his parentheses and, and, and brackets and so on. But if you just want a simple translation, probably not the easiest one to go for. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this last verse as we know, he mentions these four, these four points, right? These are the four things in order to attain that salvation, to come out of that category of loss. And the way that Allah Azza wa often does this in the Qur'an, you will find many, many instances. Some of the scholars said over 600 times in the Qur'an, you have a similar construct. And that is what that Allah Azza wa will mention something, and then he will give the exception to that. He will mention a rule and give an exception to it. Or he will mention a fact and give an exception to it or mention a statement and make an exception to it. And right and in Arabic, this is called al-istithna. Al-istithna. And al-istithna means the rule of exception. Right? You say it you know, often in the Quran. 
The students left except Zaid. What does that mean? Just from a, you know, just like from a purely, before we go into the whole tafsir aspect and so on, but just from a pure language point of view. If I was to say in English, all the students left except Zaid. What does that mean? The except, what does the except do? The exception does what? The istithna. Okay, it segregates, number one. So it shows that there is someone that doesn't follow that rule. So, so, just one second. Uh, chill. So it, it takes someone away from that rule, right? So the rule is what? Everyone's left, right? No one's here except Zay. So he's been taken out from the general rule. Number two? So it specifies him. In some ways, it emphasizes him. When some, you know, some of the scholars of Arabic, uh, you know, like balagha and, and eloquence and so on, they call ikhtisas, makes him special. Not special in that sense that he's necessarily special, but because you've pinpointed him, you're, because the rest is, are unknown people. Kharijatullah, the students left. Without mentioning their names, right? It's just a whole bunch of people that left. 10, 20, 30, 100, not specified. Their names, not known. Illa Zaydan. But Zaid has been specified, right? So in some senses, there is ikhtisas for him. That doesn't always, you know, it's not always special in that sense. When Allah Azza just sometimes mentions it, it's not to make those people special. But sometimes it is to make them special, right? Like here, illa These people are the special ones who don't suffer loss, right? So that's another thing that the exception does. Anything else? What else does an exception do? Say that again? So in this scenario, you're talking about people who are low. Yeah. So we're talking about a negative, and then you're saying except. Yeah. So the opposite, then you're talking about the positive. Yeah, possibly, accept, yeah. So you could flip it, and, and rather than it being the exception being the positive, the exception could be negative, right? So everyone's a good student except, <laughs> except Amr, right? Or except Bakr or whoever, right? So now you're flipping it, right? But again, yeah, it does. And that's why I said, like, the special thing, the ikhtisas, you specify that person, but it doesn't necessarily make them special every time. Right? It depends on, obviously, the context as well. One of the things that exception does is it gives you a general rule of thumb. Gives you, it sets you a rule of thumb. So when Allah says, That's a rule of thumb. Right? That's a universal law. So it often establishes that, that that was the norm, or that was the law, or that was the fact, or that was, that's what everyone was doing. So when Allah says, you know, in the story of um, Talut and Jalut and, and, and that story in, in the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he speaks about this, he says that they came across a river that they were told to drink from, right? That was one of the commands that those people were given by their prophet, by their king. minhu illa minhum. They drank from it except for a few from amongst them, right? So that's the general, that's what was generally happen, happening, right? So it gives you the general state of affairs before it gives you the exception as well. So you understand that everyone else was doing this, right? And the exception is then given. Um, just the majority or the minority. So, uh, so for example, when Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, um, yeah, there are, there are other examples of this as well. Um, I had a verse, but it's gone in my head. But anyway, um, so, number one, it gives you a general rule. Number two, shows you what the exception is. Number three, gives a type of ikhtisas, right? Gives a type of specification. Uh, and number four, sometimes what it can do is it can show honor. And it can show greatness. Or it can, you know, it can show um, yeah, some type of, of exclusivity and honor, right? So when you say, for example, um, there's no poet except Hassan, right? Like Hassan, right? There's no poet except Hassan. That doesn't mean that there are no other poets. There are many other poets. But what does that mean? There's no poet except Hassan, right? In Arabic, they say that, right? Would you accept or would you say like? Yeah, in English, we would say like, but in Arabic, you would use the word illa. Hmm? 
لا شاعر الا حسان right that's how they say in arabic so in english yeah we would just like forget <laughs> we just translate it the other way and we say there's no one like him but it's the same meaning but what does that mean when we say there's no poet like hassan hassan like the companion hassan ibn thabit radiyallahu an there's no poet like him does that mean that there were no other poets no jahiliya is full of poets and the quraysh were full of poets and there were other muslim poets and there but what does it mean is there's no one like him in poetry right he's special in his poetry right and you know there's no car like a a ford fiesta <laughs> yeah so what you're doing is you're giving it a special place right so you're you're honoring it in some way so the word illa the istithna the exception sometimes in arabic gives you an added meaning so it's not just you know strictly accept right it can add something else right it can add some and we will go through some of those examples anyway No, so sometimes it, what it, not mafum and mukhalifah so much, but sometimes sarih and ghayru sarih, right? Sometimes it is very obvious and sometimes it's not so obvious uh, in terms of what the meaning is. And so that's why, like, in terms of the, you know, and we will go through some of the differences now as to what illa can mean. And you will find amongst the books of, uh, in the books of tafsir, and especially the linguistic books of tafsir that focus on the Arabic language and grammar, differences amongst the scholars of Arabic language as to illa in this sense, does it mean this or does it mean that? Right? And that's because it is about context and it is about... Um, but illa can come with a number of meanings in the Arabic language. So the istithna, uh, and this is, as I said, you know, like over... Some scholars say over 600 times in the Qur'an does Allah do this. In the Qur'an, He uses istithna. Right? And it's very common in the Qur'an. If you think about the amount of times that, that has illa in the Qur'an, there, there are many, many occasions when... when sorry? وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَمَا يُخَادِعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَمَا Like from the very beginning of Surah Baqarah, you have istithna, right? That's like, you know, like 15 verses in or something. And it's all throughout the Qur'an, right? All the way up to Surah Asr, right? So istithna is something very, very common. And that's why in the books of Ulum al-Qur'an, if you go to Al-Itqan of Imam Al-Siyuti, Al-Burhan, Ulum al-Qur'an of Zarqashi and others, they mention in their books of, of Quranic sciences when they speak about the way that Allah uses eloquence in the Quran and the different structures of the Arabic language that are employed in the Quran, they will mention istithna and the word illa, right? Because it's something which is so commonly used in the Quran. And that's like an interesting thing to look at, right? The, the use of the word illa in the Quran, the use of the word idh or idha, because that's very common in the Quran also, right? idha, the use of the word aw or you know, whatever. Amma, right? all of these words which are very common, right? And they're like just two-letter words which even in, 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 in translation, you know, it's not something which, which necessarily comes across, but it's something which uh, if you look at the actual language of the Arabic and the eloquence that it brings, it gives you a number of meanings. So istithna generally means to take, to make an exception, right? To take something away from the rule of thumb, from what was mentioned before it. And that's why general istithna usually has like three kind of pillars or three kinds of components to it. You have the general rule, the word that is the exception, like the illa, and then what that exception is, right? That's basically how it generally works in the Arabic language. And in Arabic, there are eight ways of making exception, eight terms that can be used for exception. Illa Ghayra, Siwa, Ada, Khala, Hasha, Laysa, and La Yakun. No, no, in the Arabic language. We're just talking about generally in Arabic. Eight ways that you can make istithna. Should I go over them again? Or you guys like my interest? You couldn't care less what they are. Illa, Ghayra, Siwa, Ada, Khala, Hasha, Laysa, and la yakunu, right? That's generally the Arabic language. All of them offer, like, you know, they, they mean more or less the same thing. They're, they're a way of making an exception. From them, only two are used in the Quran. Which two? Illa, obviously, and ghayra, right? as exception. Right? They are the ones 
that are used in the Quran. So, for example, uh, illa, you know, very well known. Ghayra, someone give me an example of ghayra used in the Arabic language. It's very obvious. غير المغضوب عليهم صراط الذين نمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين The path that you have chosen to favor not the path right not the path of ليس is used in the Quran um, I don't know if it's used as an exception though To be honest I, t- I took this from like a like from different places, and I don't know if, if, if it's necessarily the truth, but this is, this is what I found generally. And illa and ghayra will be the most common. So even if laysa is used, it's probably like very rare. Laysa is used in the Quran, like laysu sawal, but I don't know if it's used in the context of exception, to mean an exception, right? So it doesn't mean that these words are not found in the Quran, right? They are, but what it means is as an exception, or as adatul istithna. That's not an exception though, right? That's not an exception. Yeah, there is nothing like him. But it's not an exception to something. Right? That's just a statement in and of itself. So, al-istithna in the Arabic language, therefore, illa an ghayra. Illa comes in two ways. Muttasil and munfasil. Connected and unconnected, right? What does unconnected, disconnected mean? Connected means that you're told like in the same verse, you're told what it is that the exception is from. Right? And, it, and it fits in the same context. minhu illa minhum. They drank from the water except for a few of them. The exception is what, that, what did they not drink from? From the water, right? From the river or the sea, whatever it was, right? So it's, it's mutasil, right? It's connected. In Arabic, you also have munfasil, right? Munfasil. So what does that mean? It means that the exception here isn't really to do with what the exception, it's not the same concept, it is a different concept. So for example, the example they give is when Allah says in the Quran, مَا لَهُمْ بِهِ مِنْ عِلْمٍ إِلَّا They have no knowledge of this except to follow conjecture. Knowledge and conjecture are not the same thing, right? Knowledge is yaqeen, it's certain. Conjecture is thought, what you think, possibly, right? Something that you're unsure of. So the two are not the same thing. It is still an istithna, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disconnects the two. Why? Because to show that they are not of the same level. Right? They are not of the same weight and importance. Knowledge is of a far higher you know, level and far higher rank than pure conjecture. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا لَهُمْ بِهِ مِنْ عِلْمٍ إِلَّا No. Shek is 50-50. Yaqeen is 100%. And then dhan, it depends, right? So ghalabat al right? If it's over 50%, does it become ghalabat al like 51 onwards? Ghalabat al means it's most likely, more likely. Shek. No, no, yeah. The, the sharia doesn't ask us to do yaqeen. And that's why one of the principles of the sharia is ghalabat al yaqumu muqam al yaqeen. The ghalabat al Having a you know like a uh, yeah more sure or more or less sure or whatever is like having certainty right? because very few people have a hundred percent right if you ask someone even who's fairly certain or you know did you like make all the pro- they probably say no I'm not I'm not I'm ninety percent but hundred percent is very like unless you're very sure of yourself um, and have an abundance of overconfidence you're unlikely to be like have a hundred percent certainty in every single thing that you do so the Sharia doesn't take it to that level right. Yeah, dhan in, in the Arabic language is generally used in the Quran. Quranic context is generally used in, in, uh, as a sense of weakness. And that's why in Surah Al-Kahf, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the people of the fire, as they're going into the fire, He says, He says, and they know, and often if you, if you look at the, at the uh, translation, you will often find that the translation is and they are certain they will be thrown into the fire. That's how they translate the verse because that is the meaning, that's the tafsir. But the Arabic word isn't yaqeen. 
the Arabic word is dhan. And some of the scholars, in, like it's a very beautiful point of eloquence, they say that the reason why Allah Azza wa uses dhan in this verse is because dhan inherently shows weakness. And the people of the fire, even when they have certainty of something, Allah doesn't afford them that strength of describing them in terms of certainty. Because certainty means that you're confident, you're strong, you're powerful, right? Allah Azza wa does describe the people of the fire, even when they have certainty, he describes it as dhan. Because dhan inherently is what? Weakness, right? A doubt, unsure, I don't know. And so that's like a beautiful thing that the Quran does in terms of the way the Arabic is used, um, even to show some of these points. Those people that actually um, speak in one term, they don't mean it to be one. They believe in absolute certainty. They can be translated. Um, yeah, so even if they mean, even if they, um, if they think that it is certain, Allah often says in the Quran that it is still done because they have no proof for it, they have no basis of it, right? So those people who, as Allah mentioned in the Quran, when they, they say that we follow our forefathers, and what does Allah say? They have no knowledge of this, nor do their forefathers, right? So Allah says, just because they think it's something which is true, like the Quraysh and so on, doesn't make it so. Okay, Imam Zarqashi, rahimahullah, in his book Al-Burhan, Fi Ulum Al-Quran. Burhan is a four-volume book, maybe? Is it four volumes? I don't remember now. But anyway, it's, it's a number of volumes anyway. Uh, a book in, in the sciences of the Quran. And it's actually a very nice book in the sciences of the Quran. Um, and similar to it is Al-Itqan uh, of Imam Al-Suyuti. But Al-Burhan, in some aspects, goes to a lot more detail. He mentions Al-Istithna, and he mentions the different meanings with which it comes in the Quran. And he says that istithna, the main, the main meaning or the most common meaning in the Quran is the exception, right? That it's accept, right? Save from or, you know, accept from. So when Allah Azza wa Jal says, لَسْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُصَيْتِرْ إِلَّا مَنْ تَوَلَّا You have no control over them except for those who turn away and they disbelieve, right? So it comes with that meaning of exception, right? That's the most common in the Quran. But it also comes in the Quran with the meaning, as I said before, there will be difference of opinion over some of these. When you go back to the books of tafsir, linguistic tafsir, you will find that the scholars of Arabic grammar and language will disagree and differ over some of these points. But anyway, one of the other meanings that the word uh, illa comes with is bal. Bal means rather, right, rather, right? So, for example, when Allah Azza wa Jalla says at the beginning of Surah Taha, Taha, ma anzalna alayka al-Qur'ana li tashqa illa tadkiratan li man yakhsha. Taha, we have not revealed this Qur'an upon you to distress you, rather as a reminder. Right? Rather as a reminder. Right? And can we pull up the translation of Surah Taha? It'll just be interesting to see what, how it's translated. Can we, can we pull up the other translations, please? So, Sahih International, we have not sent down to you the Qur'an that you be distressed, but only as a reminder, right? So they still use like the exception, but, which is true, right? The illa still, is still an exception, but what they're saying is that it gives you an added meaning. Abdul Halim, it was not to distress you that we sent down the Qur'an to you. Can we, can we um, scroll down, please? Uh, no, 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 sorry. Yeah, but, scroll uh, down, uh, sorry. But as a reminder, so they all, oh, except Mufti Taqir Uthmani, he's the only one that uses rather, the rest of them still use but. Right, he's a Mufti, that's why, yeah. Um, so that's also another meaning, right, the bell, right, rather. So this Quran was not sent down upon you to distress you, rather as a reminder. So it's still an exception, right, this is what it was instead but it gives you the added meaning of bal. The third meaning that he mentions is wow, and. Sometimes illa means and. So for example, when Allah Azza wa Jalla says in Surah An-Naml, inni la yakhafu ladayya, in, in the story of Musa alayhi salam, inni la yakhafu ladayya al-mursaloon illa man dhalam. And those or the messengers have no fear before me, except those who do wrong. What they say the illa means here is and those who do wrong. Except and those who do wrong. The verse goes on. But then they seek repentance. After they do that wrong, Allah says, I will have forgiveness for them. 
So the messengers have no need to fear Allah Azza wa Jal, meaning that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala gives them safety and security and tranquility. They have no fear before Allah Azza wa Jal, like the believers, right? When they pass away, the angels come and they say, don't despair, don't be sad, don't grieve and so on. So Allah Azza wa Jal is saying the same thing. And likewise, those who even if they do evil, they turn back to Allah and Allah forgives them. They have no cause to fear Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala either, meaning no cause to be afraid of Allah Azza wa Jal, right? They have taqwa and fear, but they have no cause to be afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the illa here, they say, is awal. And those, right? So just like the messengers, and those. But the word that is used is illa. Also, uh, another meaning that is mentioned by Azar Kashi, rahimahullah, is the word, the illa comes with the meaning of ghayra. Ghayra, which means, how do you translate ghayra? Yeah, other than, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's probably uh, an okay uh, translation. Uh, so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, says, لَوْ كَانَ فِيهِمَ آلِهَةٌ إِلَّا اللَّهُ لَفَسَدَتَا Whether to be other gods, other than Allah, then the earth and the heavens would be corrupted. Right? So if there are more than one god, then they would, they would fall into corruption because those gods would fight over them. لَوْ كَانَ فِيهِمَ آلِهَةٌ إِلَّا اللَّهُ whether to be other gods except Allah, right? It's still an exception, but the meaning is ghayra, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And we said the word ghayra is used as an exception in its own right in the Quran as well. And then you have um, another meaning which is al-hasar, right? That, and that is to like make, give exclusivity. So when Allah Azza wa Jalla says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhal or you who believe, seek assistance in patience and in salah. And then he says, وَإِنَّهَا لَكَبِيرَةٌ إِلَّا عَلَى الْخَاشِعِينَ And Allah says, and indeed that is a grave thing or a heavy thing or a big thing or a major thing, except for those who have khushu. Right? And so that is giving exclusivity as well. So it's an added meaning to the exception. Everyone finds that difficult salah. It's always a burden for people unless they have the aspect of khushu. Without khushu, and this is something which you know from practical experience, unless you have khushu in your salah, the salah often becomes difficult and burdensome for people to perform. Right? And so it gives it exclusivity. Just like in Surah Al-Asr, that's another example of exclusivity as well. All of these people are in a state of loss, except for, but that exception also has within it a level of exclusivity. These are the people that Allah will save. These are the people that Allah will reward. These are the people that Allah Azza wa will honor. And sometimes, uh, another like added meaning, sometimes in the Quran, the illa is mentioned with, uh, with, with, as a condition. Right? It's mentioned conditionally. Right? The illa is used conditionally, as a condition. So for example, when Allah Azza wa Jal says concerning the Prophet Sallam, إِلَّا تَنْصُرُوهُ فَقَدْ نَصَرَهُ اللَّهُ If you don't help him and assist him, then surely Allah will help him. Right? The illa here is what? The illa here is conditional. Right? Even if you don't, then Allah Azza wa Jal will, in, will help him instead. Or for example, when Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِلَّا تَفَعَلُوهُ تَكُنْ فِتْنَةٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ if you don't do so, then there will be fitna upon the earth. Oh, when, uh, as Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions in another verse, وَإِلَّا تَغْفِرْ لِي وَتَرْحَمْنِي أَكُمْ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ And if you don't forgive me and have mercy upon me, I will be from the losers. Right? And that's why Imam Zarqashi and As-Suyuti and Al-Itqan, both of them mention that some of the scholars of the Arabic language said, that the illa al-istithna'iyya, the exception, the illa of exception, brings within it, on many occasions, some form of exclusivity, some form of uh, speci- specifying something. So those people are always specified, always pointed out, sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. Right? Sometimes in honorable ways, and sometimes Allah Azza wa Jalla uses it in a way that actually they were not from the good, right? They were not from the people who did good. Um, but it is, one of the things that, um, that you will find in the Qur'an is this word illa, which comes very often within the Qur'an. Right. Okay, 
Any questions? I think we'll, we'll stop there for today. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, does the thana part in istithna mean some form of because thana means praise? It must come from the same root word because thana and istithna will come from the same root word, I would assume. Um, and perhaps, and that's maybe that's where they get this exclusivity from, right? That's a form of praise to make something exclusive. It's a form of you know like uh, bringing like signaling someone out and Allah I don't know. I didn't really go to the whole. Um, Sorry? Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Maybe this stithna has something. But the only problematic thing with that is not necessarily praise in that sense. Praise as in pr positive praise because sometimes exception can be negative as well. But the, in the sense that those people are being specified, right? So, you know, and that is, you know, in some ways you're, you're specifying that person. Right, so when you say like everyone was good except, right, that's still like a time a term of a type of specification. So more like deserving of praise. Sorry? It's more like deserving of Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's hard, you know, like with the Arabic language to give a whole you know generalized rule because Arabic language, because of its eloquence, often has these like small tangents and nuances and exceptions and so on. So to say that it always means this, it's always a form of praise. It's not necessarily the case in that. That makes it difficult. Yeah. You know that Yeah, so the context, and we're going to come on to that inshallah next week, but the context that verse is mentioned in Surah Hajj, the, the context that uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin was mentioning in his tafsir is when it comes to the issue of those people who don't have patience, patience upon good, patience upon difficulty, patience upon when trials come to them. Right? So they become unsteady at those times. And so what, what, Allah, what he's pointing out is that what Allah subhanahu wa is telling us to have is patience at those times, to have more patience, right? At times of difficulty and trial, that's the time to show patience because that's when it's needed. So he brings that verse to show that Allah Azza says, no, actually there are people who, when fitna comes to them, because that's the verse, right? When a sabatu fitna, in ala wajhi. When fitna comes, they turn away, right? They turn back and they change direction. Okay, um, we have a question online. Uh, we are working on Surah Yusuf and discussing how to translate Hasha Lillah. To be honest, I'd have to look at that, like in terms of like it's, um, I'm, I'm sure it's translated generally in the Quran. I don't know how they, what's the general translation of Hasha Lillah? But um, I mean, I'm sure like the sister can check it herself. I mean, it's not something we necessarily have to check. But anyway, um, that's weird. What language is that, man? Um, but yeah, in terms of like original Arabic wording and, and what it, like the other nuances to and so on, I'd have to look at that further. It's not something which I, I just know from the top of my head. And that's like a nice thing to do, you know, like, but it takes time you know, to actually go back to root words and, and see what they mean and what other like words can come into it. And so it's a very nice um, method of doing tafsir, but it is, it is difficult and time consuming and very technical, yeah. So as we said, right, sometimes it's connected and sometimes it's disconnected. Disconnected means that it doesn't follow what came before. So the exception is nothing to do with what came before. Okay, so what we have here in the translations is... They said, perfect is Allah, Allah preserve us, great God. How perfect is Allah, O oh God, Allah preserve us, good God. Okay, 
Yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't know. Until I like go back and so on, I, I can't really tell. But those are like the translations that you have. I'd, I'd have to look at it. I don't have anything um, additional to add at this time. Okay, Jazakumullah khair. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Are we done? No. Okay, guys, sorry, before you go, just quick, very quickly. Next week, inshallah ta'ala, we have a, a double lesson. And the reason is because in two weeks' time on the 24th, we have a winter